0: Welcome to the Doctor's Hospital podcast. I am your host, Alexis Burrows, Brand Manager at Doctor's Hospital. Today, we are continuing our series on pain management, and we are joined by Dr. Sashil Wadwa, who is a consultant na- spine and neurosurgeon here at Doctor's Hospital. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Wadwa.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Alexis. Always a pleasure.
0: So, we um, started this series last week with Dr. Jazreel Thompson, who went through um, a lot of the, the basics of pain. Um, as well as some of the non-surgical treatment options for pain. So today, especially given your area of specialty, what we want to do is dive a little bit deeper into back pain specifically, um, and some of the treatment options, some of the things that you know patients or potential patients may want or need to be aware of if they're considering um, coming in to try and get some assistance with back pain. So. I start there simply because one of the things that um, Dr. Thompson mentioned last week on the podcast was specifically back pain, um, and given that yeah. you're a, a spine surgeon, what is it exactly that makes back pain so problematic? Why is it such a, a big deal?
1: Yeah, back pain is really, you know, um, given the terms we use now, it's it's almost like pandemic proportions.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, you know, it's it's present globally; you know, nobody is really spared. Uh, you're seeing various age groups being involved Um, so it's it's really a big problem and the number if you just look at the number of people losing losing out work or you know having to stay off work because of back pain uh, is is huge Uh, there are statistics uh, in the US where a huge amount of dollars are lost because of the loss in productivity because of back pain Mm -hmm. Uh, so back pain is a genuine problem is a significant problem uh, what makes it so problematic is it's multifactorial, you know. Uh, there are so many parts in the back that can generate pain, uh, starting right mm-hmm. from, you know, the muscles in the back, whether it's the joints between the bones. Uh, there's something called discs, which are like shock absorbers between the bones. It could be the bone itself. Uh, then the spine encloses all the important nerves and the spinal cord, so any irritation of those can produce pain. Uh, so, so you have a lot of factors that can generate pain, and it's never one factor that's causing the pain. You know, most of the time it is uh, it is a combination of factors. And to add to all of this, uh, because it kind of you know puts you out of your regular lifestyle and affects your work,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, it can have a psychological component as well.
2: Mm.
1: Uh, and and it works both ways. You know, it uh, people having Uh, some kind of stress disorders can manifest to have back pain Uh, and those who have back pain can can get so worked up because of the consequences of back pain uh, that they really get stressed about it and it affects their mental health as well Mm. Uh, so that's what makes back pain so problematic
2: right
0: so i I guess the the question kind of you know and your your response kind of speaks to the fact that whereas some diseases or some illnesses people may look at and be like you know this is something that will lead to to um, death, so to speak. But that's not so sure. much the issue with back pain. It's more of the the quality of life issue, right? It's how well you can enjoy True. your True. everyday life, being able to True. to go to work, to you know, in, engage with your True. family, and that that's really where the issue lies.
1: Yes, absolutely. You know, uh, because our lives today are predominantly activity-based you know there's so much we do in a day Mm -hmm. Uh, we are traveling we are working uh, even if you're on vacation you have leisure activity so a lot of it is physical activity and the back really is the axis of your body you know Uh, Mm -hmm. it's all your movements are sort of centered around your back Uh, so when your back is hurting and your activities are affected you you feel like you know you're so restricted and your life has literally come down and plus, you have this big component of pain. You know, pain is genuine suffering. Uh, so so that's where back pain becomes such a big deal. Mm-hmm. And, and that's how it's affecting uh, your quality of life in a big way. Right. Because majority of our activities are physical-based.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. So one of the things that the Dr. Thompson also mentioned, um, she, she dealt a lot with the, the non-surgical treatment options, obviously coming from the, the okay. standpoint of an anesthesiologist. Um, that's expected but for for you when you're dealing with patients how do you know um, when it's time to move from a non-surgical treatment option to a surgical one specifically when talking about back pain
1: right yeah so see back pain is really a signal that there is something wrong in the back
2: okay Mm -hmm.
1: now our back has two major functions Uh, one is the stability you know Uh, the spine is basically uh, it's it's a tower made with blocks of bones there are 33 bones starting from the neck all the way down to the tailbone so these are stacked one on top of the other now these uh, this spine supports our body you know it helps us stay upright so so one of the major functions of the spine is it has to be stable so that it can do its supportive function well so stability of the spine is mm-hmm. very very important so so one parameter of the spine is stability. And the second thing the spine does is, you know, it protects the spinal cord and the nerves. Now the spinal cord and nerves are very delicate tissues and their importance is the fact they carry all the brain signal uh, to all parts of the body. You know, so you want these two, so you want the nerves and the spinal cord to be in the greatest of health so that, you know, the rest of your body can function well. And And this spine, protects uh, the spinal cord and the nerves so two important functions is the stability and uh, you know protection of the nerves so when these two factors start to get threatened you know that's where you you know your back pain is something more serious it is not just under strain or wear and tear but when its basic functions are being compromised when when the stability of the spine is compromised mm-hmm. or when the nerves are starting to get affected that's when you know that it's serious and most of the time that's the point where it starts becoming surgical now how that how somebody can recognize that point is one is if your back pain is worsening uh, with particular movements you know you're having excruciating pain just bending forwards or when you lift something heavy uh, or you lay in a certain way and you're feeling you know change in movements is excruciating is producing excruciating pain one, uh, one possibility could be is that you're having some amount of instability of the spine. Uh, or if you've had a trauma, you know, you've had trauma and then you're starting to have severe pain in certain movements, mm-hmm. you could have an instability of your spine. So that's how you can recognize a stability issue. A nerve issue you can recognize if you start getting symptoms in your limbs. So now we're talking about back pain. So if you have significant compression of uh, the nerves in your back, the symptoms are often in the legs you know shooting pain down the leg uh, burning tingling numbness uh, in the legs so these are symptoms of nerve involvement or if you find that your muscles in the legs are selectively getting weak specifically on one side or both sides if you find muscle weakness that is you know you're you're having to put a lot of effort to climb stairs or come downstairs. Mm-hmm. Uh, you find your foot flapping, you know you're not able to lift it off the ground when you're walking, so you're kind of dragging your foot suddenly uh, so all those would indicate that there is a nerve damage, so anything with you know loss of power uh, or loss of sensation in the legs uh, mm-hmm. would mean a nerve involvement so So these are two things that we majorly look for. Any issues with stability? Any issues with nerve compression? Mm-hmm. Could mean that it's surgical. Okay. And one more factor is bladder function or uh, sexual function, especially in males, mm.
2: uh,
1: is you know that that indicates uh, that a whole lot of nerves in the back are being pinched. So somebody with a back pain suddenly unable to pee or you know having to strain while peeing mm. or starts to develop impotence, uh, that could mean that uh there's a whole lot of nerves getting pinched uh and that's sometime an emergency indication to operate on the spine
0: oh wow that's interesting i never heard of that before that connection
1: yeah um so, so somebody with wow. back pain having a bladder issue uh suddenly uh, having no other reasons to have it you know mm-hmm. uh it that, that's like like a dire emergency for the back
0: oh wow wow that's i mean that's good for people to know um, now, I know we've had some conversations in the past um, and the lecture series last year where you spoke about um, the wide range of surgical options that are now available, um, particularly some of the, the the lesser invasive ones. Can you explain some of the treatment options um, that are available from a surgical perspective for back pain? Um, and in particular, I guess, the non-invasive or less invasive versions, because I'm sure people are, are very interested in, in that approach. True, true
1: yeah so you know like i mentioned uh in in the response to the previous question is we are basically addressing two things one is the stability other other thing is the nerve pinching
2: mm-hmm.
1: now how we go about doing this in a surgery uh, has evolved over time and spine surgery has come a long way since you know the primitive spine surgery and especially the last 10 years or last 15 years uh, you know the technological advancements are just rapidly progressing mm-hmm. uh, and one of the big things is conventional spine surgery involved big openings in your back you know you had a long incision uh, going all the way from below your ribcage to maybe just at your waist uh, or you know there were fairly large incisions long surgeries uh, you had to go through a lot of normal muscle normal tissue to reach the spine uh, so so spine surgery in a way was a little destructive even you know so, so a lot of the new techniques involve uh, much smaller openings. You know, you, you could do, uh, you could do a disc surgery, which is which is a common problem for the back, uh, which we call a discectomy or a micro You can now do it with an incision less than an inch. So it's a tiny incision oh, wow. in the back. Uh, you can just go between the bones rather than having to remove normal bone and reach the spine uh so you can go between the bones you can remove just the part of the disc that's come out rather than the entire disc uh so so it has really become very very less invasive now from you know you're going down from uh an incision which would be many inches to to less than an inch mm-hmm. uh, and that that has a big advantage and you're not disrupting normal structures to get to the abnormality so you're preserving some of the normal anatomy uh, that makes your recovery so much more faster uh, you're not bedridden for so long uh, you don't need things like a brace or heavy restriction post surgery
2: mm. so
1: so that's one way is what we call microsurgery. you know we have a tool called the surgical microscope mm-hmm. uh, so that gives us a magnified view of everything inside so so we can make small openings and uh, you know be more efficacious in freeing up the nerves uh, so microsurgery is one uh, significant advantage. Uh, then there are newer things, uh, what we call endoscopic. So, so you know, the incisions are getting smaller and smaller.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: just like how you have laparoscopic surgery for the abdomen, you have endoscopic surgery for the spine. Mm. So it's a really tiny incision made to one side of your back, uh, and you can achieve the same results as a conventional surgery. Uh, then you have, uh, you know, some of these modern terms, uh, now these are just uh, technological adjuncts that improve the safety to a little bit. Something like a laser, you know, we we all hear about laser surgery in uh, in different areas of the body. There is laser surgery for the back too, but in the spine, really, uh, the laser component is is just a cutting tool. You you still have to make an opening to reach the spine, but but it's definitely uh, one of the newer techniques where you could do surgery is through laser. Uh, then you have, uh, you know, when you're dealing with stability of the spine, the conventional way was to put screws and rods into the spine, mm-hmm. and now you have newer devices to replace that. This uh, you have something called a zip device, which is basically like a small clamp you put to hold the bones. Mm-hmm. So, so you could do that with a smaller incision rather than uh, making a bigger incision and, uh, you know, having to. Put in big screws and rods in the spine, mm-hmm. so you could use that. Uh, one of the disadvantages of using screws and rods was uh, you're fixing a particular segment of the spine. Is what we call a fusion. Mm-hmm. You know, with that, the biggest flip side is you lose some amount of flexibility of your spine.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, so one of the ways uh, we can deal with that is is now there is something called called an artificial disc. Mm-hmm. You, You could, you know, you get a small implant which mimics the movements of the normal disc. So You can insert that in and you can completely avoid a fusion. It's still an implant, but because it mimics the normal movement, you know, it retains the flexibility of the back. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there are, you know, and there are all these new technologies to help the spine in less invasive ways. Mm -hmm. Plus in the operating room, you know, you start having technologies like image guidance. You can now look uh, at structures into the spine uh, before you do something, you right. have something called nav- neuro navigation, which mm-hmm. is basically like a GPS. So, so that way you can keep making the opening smaller and still be very accurate. Mm. Uh, so there's a whole host of technologies uh, and the goal of every technology is to make spine surgery safer,
2: mm-hmm.
1: less invasive mm-hmm. and faster recovery.
0: Mm-hmm no i mean that that sounds really good um just a quick follow-up question on that so given that like let's say somebody who had a a fusion where they had the the rods and screws before is Uh it possible Uh now to to switch so i guess for lack of a better way of phrasing it to undo the fusion and do um i think what you mentioned was the artificial disc is that is that a possibility Uh for somebody that's had fusion surgery um, previously
1: no unfortunately not uh, because you know when you do a fusion you're kind of cementing that Mm. space between the bones uh, and once you cement that that's pretty much for life okay Uh, uh, so unfortunately the present technology you cannot reverse that and many times it you know also depends on why the fusion was done Mm -hmm. you know when you've had a fusion it's done for a particular purpose uh and if if your fusion was mainly to ensure stability of the spine then then there's really not much alternative to it in terms of artificial disc
2: mm-hmm. gotcha. you know?
1: because because see when you're doing an artificial disc you're still keeping the movement intact mm-hmm. and when your problem is stability you do not want that movement you, gotcha. know? When you know the spine is unstable and you still allow it to move it's going to be unstable
0: so, right so it depends so many on... of the
1: times yeah, the fusion is done to protect that stability. Gotcha. Now sometimes you do a fusion because you have to remove a large amount of the disc uh, because the disc is kind of compressing the nerves. Mm-hmm. You know, so so there's a lot of disc compression, uh, disc material that's bulging uh, and pinching the nerves, or you know, a disc uh, has multiple times bulged out. So so in that cases, you're having to remove the disk radically. You know, you're having to remove almost the entire disk. Now, when you do that, you have an empty gap between the blocks of bones. Mm-hmm. So, so you can't have a stack of blocks with something Missing empty in between, right? Mm-hmm. Because the stack is going to fall off. Mm-hmm. So in that case, we would normally do a fusion uh, to fill that gap and fix it. Mm-hmm. But now uh, with the artificial disk, you could do that, you know, rather gotcha. than... Uh, having to fuse, just because you have to take out the disc, or just because you manipulated the disc.
2: Mm-hmm. In
1: that case, you you know you just replace the disc. So so it has a very uh, limited range of indication.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And at the same time, artificial discs for the low back for the lumbar spine uh, are relatively new. You know they haven't been around so long for mm-hmm. us to test how they would do in different scenarios. Yeah. Uh, Or how best you can use that so so it is still a growing field so the simple answer is you cannot undo an existing fusion fair Uh, but at the same time I want to add on that you know fusion is not the worst thing sometimes there are indications where a fusion is the best option for it Mm -hmm. so it's so an artificial disk is not a replacement for fusion right
0: Gotcha. And then I guess, as as with all things in medicine, right, it depends on the specific scenario that you're looking at, the cause of the pain, um, and all of that is is obviously very um, critical to to determining what the option is for treatment. Now, so we're talking about treatment, and we're obviously now going to look beyond to say, you know, what can somebody if they come in? And they need to have um, you know back surgery, and you're looking particularly at some of the, the less invasive versions. What can they kind of expect post-op? What, what do they expect their, their normalcy to look like in terms of after the fact? And obviously this is going to be a very broad strokes question because it's still going right. to be right. scenarios are different depending from patient to patient.
1: True, true. Yeah, but by and large, you know most of the spine surgeries. Uh, you could classify them into two aspects. One is, uh, are you going to be using implants or are you not using implants? Uh, now, if you're not using implants, most often the surgery is what we call a microsurgery. Mm-hmm. Uh, in those cases, the patient comes into hospital on the morning of surgery. Uh, the surgery is about an hour or two. Uh, after surgery, they stay in the recovery room for about an hour. Many of the patients are you know, at least able to Stand on their feet or go to the bathroom by the same evening, mm. uh, and majority oh. of the patients, you know, I would say more than ninety percent of the patients or ninety-five percent of the patients, if they've had a microsurgery, by the next day morning, uh, you know, they're able to stand up, walk around the room, around the ward. Mm. Uh, we try and see if they are independent for their personal needs, like taking a bath, going to the bathroom, mm-hmm. and majority of them, you know, more than ninety, ninety-five percent of the patients actually leave the hospital the next day so uh, you you, they could you could even send them home the same day you can now do microsurgery as a day procedure Uh, though i prefer my patients to stay at least overnight so that you know we give them a chance to see how they're recovering and to build that confidence and even for us to make sure you know they don't have to go home and come back pretty soon so so it's it's just it's just one day of stay literally in the hospital Uh, Patients are independent for their personal needs from the next day of surgery. Uh, We advise patients to stay rested at home for at least a week till the incision heals. Uh, Generally from week two is when they can start driving. By week three patients are going back uh, to a desk job and if they're doing a more physical job you know they're back by about four weeks time. So that's with a microsurgery, mm-hmm. um, it can be faster, it can be slower based on factors, you know, right. factors like do they have other problems like diabetes or wound healing issues. Uh, some of the people who are younger and otherwise healthy are much faster in recovering. So that's with a microsurgery. Now, if they have an implant put in, uh, it's not so different, you know, it's, it's not vastly different in, in if there's an implant put in. So the surgical time would definitely be longer because you know you're having to be very accurate and safe while putting the implant so that takes time Uh, secondly uh, post implant uh, the post-operative pain is a little more than a microsurgery, so they stay in hospital for about two to three days time again these patients are you know there are a good number of patients who would be up on their feet the next day even after a fusion Uh, but but most of them by about day three is when they are, you know, able to walk to the bathroom or be a little independent for their personal needs. By day between day three and five, most of the patients would be able to go home, and then your recovery at home is pretty similar to your microsurgery. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah, so it's it's it may one day versus three to five days. Right. Um, and return to work would probably mean the earliest in a microsurgery return to work would be two to three weeks Mm -hmm. in this it would be about three to five weeks or four to five weeks if i would say
0: okay it's interesting because you know i i always tell people i i work in the hospital environment but i'm on a side Mm -hmm. that is not medical or technical at all so hearing something like the you know that that's not a very long time frame in terms of going back. I would have True. assumed True. that, you know, back surgery would have you out for months for recovery. So Correct. even for me, Correct. you know, hearing, you know, some of these options that are available is it's, it's amazing. Um, mm-hmm. So obviously now, you know, we talked about the, 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 some of the things to expect in terms of getting back to normal. But what are some of the potential complications of back surgery and what can be done, I guess, both from the physician standpoint, but also from the patient standpoint to prevent or avoid complications?
1: Right. So uh, see, the one thing is uh, like you have complications with any surgical procedure when Mm -hmm. you're making an incision, you're going into a body cavity, uh, there's always some of the standard risks are bleeding, Uh, risk of infection Mm -hmm. Uh, these are standard risks to any operation Uh, but we take a great deal of precaution and now with minimally invasive risk of bleeding becomes very low you know because you're hardly making a big opening so the potential for you to lose a lot of blood is very low in spine in the modern day spine surgery Uh, things like infection uh, that's a big scare because you know the spine is very sensitive to infection you get an infection of the spine it could it could really mean a bad Bad, bad time. Uh, but we take great precautions. Like our operating rooms have high standard standards of sterility. Uh, we cover patients with antibiotics, you know, around the operating time. So, so that's fairly taken care of. And you know, that would, uh, I've not had a patient have a spine infection post-op uh, for a long time now. Uh, so, so bleeding and infection like any surgery, but but those risks are low. Mm-hmm then you have uh complications that are specific to the spine you know you're dealing with the spinal cord and nerves so so there is a potential of damaging the spinal cord and nerves and that can have devastating compli- complications you know or consequences mm-hmm. uh that that could mean like loss of uh, sensation or loss of function of mm-hmm. either a part or the entire leg or rarely even bladder and bowel uh, complications but but in present day surgery because you know it's done with image guidance it's done with technology it's you making you're making smaller openings so that risk really i would say is less than 1 to 5% you know i would i would like to say less than 1% oh, wow. uh, of having a new nerve damage or a new complication from a spine surgery is very low with present technology Uh, but but definitely it's a potential complication right the other thing is uh, our spinal cord and nerves are covered in a wrapping and that wrapping encloses the fluid what we call CSF or cerebrospinal fluid Mm -hmm. so sometimes you can just nick the wrapping or you know uh, if if the nerves are tightly pinched or stuck and you're freeing them up or somebody is having repeat surgery to the spine Mm -hmm. then this becomes a realistic uh problem is having uh what we call csf leak now a consequence of the leak is it prevents the wound from healing well and again it's very susceptible to infection mm-hmm. so if the csf leaks out it can carry infection into the spine and this infection can sometimes flare up to an extent that it can even reach the brain so so it is a serious complication mm-hmm. uh, but fortunately again you know the risk of a csf leak is pretty low many times if we do see the leak during surgery we plug it and fix it then and there we right. have uh, kind of glues and ways to tick uh, to you know fix that mm-hmm. and if it happens post op uh, you know we always keep watching for it and if it does unfortunately happen you know there are ways to treat it right. uh, so that's another complication okay uh, then there are some long term complications with uh, if you have implants is, you know, some amount of loss of flexibility of the spine. Uh, I, w- I, would, I wouldn't really call it a complication. I would call it a consequence. Mm-hmm. And this is something we discuss and accept uh, beforehand. Okay. Uh, but purely from a complication point of view, mm-hmm. spine surgery is very, very safe now. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are factors in trauma that we take as a precautionary measure to prevent it post-operatively patients also do play a role you know you want them to follow certain restrictions Mm -hmm. because the back is healing you know it's a moving part Mm -hmm. so the only way you can heal a moving part is to rest it right so so by by listening to advice you know sometimes uh, after a back surgery they suddenly have this big relief from pain so you know you start wanting to do a lot of activity you want to go you feel that you know you're okay to do stuff right Uh, that's when you need to be cautious so so being cautious, paying attention to your back, listening to the advice that you've been given, mm-hmm. uh, that's very important from a patient perspective. Mm-hmm. Keeping the operative site clean, you know, you, you want to keep it clean and dry so that uh, it's not getting soiled or not getting messed. Right. Um, so that way you lessen your chances of infection. So these are things that patients can do. to help. Patients who have other problems, you know, diabetes, high blood pressure,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, they need to be... Of following up with their physicians and strictly monitoring them before and after the operation uh, so that, you know, those factors don't affect healing. Gotcha. So these are things that patients can do to make spine surgery safer and more effective for them.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, I'm sure you have, um, uh, you see a lot of different patients, a lot of different types of patients and people will come in with you know well i heard this or i've heard that and and i guess some of the misconceptions and myths that people may may have about back pain so what are some of those and you know i guess what can what can you do to dispel some of the myths and misconception around back pain and back surgery
1: yeah a lot of the myths in spine surgery have come from the horror stories of the past mm-hmm. you know and And somehow these stories have stayed alive, though they have been like way back in the past. Almost all spine surgeons now uh, who are doing, uh, you know, the fairly recent level of spine surgery or the current techniques of spine surgery, Mm -hmm. spine surgery is very safe. Most people would have heard of, you know, stories like somebody had a spine surgery and he woke up paralyzed, unable to move his legs, and Mm -hmm. uh, or he had problems with bladder function, sexual function. Uh, so so that's the kind of stories people have heard uh, of spine surgery, but but those are all way back in the past, you know, mm. now, uh, in present day, those are very, very rare for someone to have a complication like that. So the biggest thing is a fear, you know, am I going to wake up uh, without being able to move my legs? Right. So that's the biggest myth of spine surgery, and that's why people do not want spine surgery uh but, but you know it's it's not like that, like I said, you know, the risk of having a new nerve damage or waking up paralyzed is literally less than one percent now right uh the second myth that people have with spine surgery is you know once my back is going to be opened up uh it's, it''s just going to lead to more surgeries mm. uh now, now again, that's not really the case in all patients. There are, uh, you know, I would agree that uh, there are some, a small subset of patients whose problem is of that nature. You know, you you know that uh, this is something where you don't have a permanent fix. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know that that patient could have recurrences. Uh, so so he's going to be open to multiple surgeries. But, but again, that's not the case for everybody. Right. If you understand the limitations uh, and you work within those limitations, Many of the times, you know, you can get away, you, you don't have to face that scenario of multiple surgeries. Right. Also, uh, you know, you need to understand that the spine is multiple parts. Mm-hmm. And when you're doing a surgery, you're fixing the part that's most worn out. You know, you, you don't just go and fix everything uh, at one time or which doesn't need fixing. So, right. so there can always be uh, an other part that can have wear and tear in the future and that could need surgery so so if you're careful uh, you know you, you don't have to really face that and like i said some of the minimally invasive techniques you're not disrupting normal structures so that you're not really affecting the rest of your spine so requiring multiple surgeries again is not so common you know it's it's again it, that's a myth that people hear of right. uh, so i and then another myth is some People who have existing comorbidities, you know it might be like somebody is diabetic or has a heart disease uh, or someone who is elderly, uh, they feel that spine surgery is a big deal and you know it's a major surgery, and they might not survive or you know they might not be able to tolerate spine surgery mm-hmm. but again that's a myth uh, with present day uh, especially improvements in anesthesia technology mm-hmm. uh surgeries being very less invasive uh You know you can there's literally no patient who's completely unfit for a spine surgery no Uh, I have I have operated on I have done spine surgeries on patients who are over 80 years of age Uh, I have done spine surgeries on patients who who have had a whole host of other problems right Um, so so other problems uh, playing a role it definitely does play some role in healing and some of the outcomes of surgery uh, but it's not completely, uh, you know, it, it, you don't have to be worried about it or scared of it. If you really need that spine surgery and it will make your life better, uh, all the other comorbidities can be worked around. So so you're never too old uh, to have spine surgery. There's always a less invasive uh, way to deal with a complex problem even. Um, so, so these are some of the myths that patients have.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: If I'm somebody who's listening to the podcast and I've had that mm-hmm. sort of an ongoing issue, um, do yeah. I need to get a referral from a general practitioner or a family medicine specialist before I come to see you? How does that process work?
1: Yeah. So, see, majority of the back pains uh, are not serious. You know, still 60 to 70% of the back pains may not be serious. Mm-hmm. So so whenever you have, you know, probably the first time you've had back pain, or the pain is, uh, what I say, mild to moderate, you know, it's kind of tolerable. It's bothering you, but not really affecting your sleep or your daily activities. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that kind of back pain can still be managed by your physician. Right. So you could see your uh, regular physician. Uh, they would probably put you on some medication. Uh, some muscle relaxants or maybe even send you to a physiotherapist Mm -hmm. you know sometimes that's all that's required right Um, so in those cases uh, you know I'm sure any physician will be able to help you Mm -hmm. off but when does back pain starts getting more as in you know it starts affecting your daily life Mm -hmm. it starts affecting your sleep you're not able to sleep because of back pain or your back pain is waking you up from sleep you've tried basic meds they're not working you've tried physio it's not working or you have any back pain with an additional problem like uh, any problem in your legs tingling numbness pain shooting down your leg uh, or like i mentioned problems with bladder bowel you know when you have back pain with one of these symptoms mm-hmm. uh, then it you know you could seek the consultation from a spine surgeon now uh, if you've already seen a physician who's started to treat you for back pain you could have a referral from your physician to come and see a spine surgeon uh, or here at doctor's hospital, you can even directly come in to see a spine surgeon, right? You could call in the hospital at 302-4600 and you can set up an appointment to see me.
2: Okay.
0: All right. Um, so that answers my next question, which was how can somebody reach out um, to arrange a consultation, but you've already answered that. So any final words to our listeners out there who may be, you know, listening and struggling through back pain?
1: Yeah, uh, a few messages. You know, one thing is uh, when you have back pain, don't get too stressed, and especially not right away. You know, back pain is very common. It's happening to a lot of people, it's happening across all age groups. Uh, so, back pain is a common issue. Uh, majority of the back pains are manageable with simple treatments, non operative treatments. I would like to say, you know, more than 60 to 70% of the back pains can be treated without a surgery or without any kind of intervention. So so back pains, uh, though they're very common, fortunately majority of them are manageable. And even if you do have a back pain that's kind of bothering you or you know, you find no solution with non-operative treatments, surgery in present day and time is pretty effective, is very safe, you can get back to work soon uh, you don't have to be scared about it, you know, some like I said, the horror stories of the past are in the past, mm-hmm. uh, chances of having a bad outcome or, you know, a new complication is extremely rare in today's time and age. So, So back pain is common, fortunately it is, you know, majority of the times it's not a major problem, but even if it's a major problem, there is a whole host of solutions and solutions which are simple, safe and effective.
0: Gotcha. All right, this has been a very informative conversation, and I'm I'm sure our listeners are um are going to come away from this with a, a lot a lot of good nuggets in how to think about you know if they if they are having back pain and how they can go about seeking treatment, um, and the type of options available for them. I think, you know, that conversation about dispelling some of those myths is going to be critically important because. You know, we, especially in our culture, we, we love the the old wives tales and the horror stories. And I mm-hmm. think sometimes Sorry. that can be so troublesome and problematic in seeking, you know, real legitimate help uh, and getting past mm-hmm. certain medical issues. So I think that's going to be a particularly important conversation for people to hear as well. Um, so thank you very much, Dr. Wadworth, Wadworth for joining us on the thank podcast you. today.
1: Thank you. Thanks. Thank you, Alexis, for giving me this opportunity. Thank you.
0: All right. So thank you. And we look forward to having you on the podcast again in the future.
1: Thank you. you. See you. Take care. Have a good
0: one. Thank you for listening to the Doctors' Hospital podcast. We want to give a special thanks to Dr. Sushil Wadbo for joining us today on the podcast. It's a very excellent conversation on pain management, specifically back pain, and some of the newer and advanced surgical options, and debunking some of the myths around back pain and back surgery. Uh, We invite you to tune in next week for part three of the pain management series, where we'll be talking to a physiotherapist here at Doctor's Hospital about that component of pain management. As always, we encourage you to like, comment, subscribe and share the podcast and we'll see you here next week.